The following program is a paid advertisement. The views reflected on this show are not necessarily the views of ESPN 1000. Doctor? 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 You're listening to Sports Medicine Weekly with Steve Cashel and Dr. Brian Cole on ESPN 1000. And hello again, everyone, and welcome into another edition of Sports Medicine Weekly. My name is Steve Cashel. I'm radio host of the Chicago Bulls. In a few minutes, I'll be joined by my co-host, Dr. Brian Cole, head team physician for the Chicago Bulls and co-team physician of the Chicago White Sox, sports medicine specialist, orthopedic surgeon from Midwest Orthopedics at Rush and Rush University Medical Center. As always, we're going to talk about a number of sports injury-related topics. We also have our website. Please visit sportsmedicineweekly.com. We're back to get it going right after this on ESPN 1000. That's one way to end up on injured reserve. So is... Falling off a ladder, lifting something heavy. Ow! That's not good. Or having an accident at work. Uh-oh. Athletico helps all kinds of people come back from injured reserve. Schedule a free injury screening at athletico.com and find out how physical therapy can decrease pain and discomfort, increase strength and mobility, and help you get back to doing the things you love to do. Athletico Physical Therapy. Better for everybody. You're listening to Sports Medicine Weekly with Steve Cashel and Dr. Brian Cole on ESPN 1000. Steve Cashel, Dr. Brian Cole with you. Sports Medicine Weekly. Our producer board operator, Felix Reyes, helped with Eric Ostrowski. Coordinating producer is Teresa Ann Seeger. And Dr. Cole, uh, boy, it's amazing how far we have come with new technology. And uh, I know with the Chicago Bulls, on-court monitoring, correct? Steve, we are monitoring virtually every bodily function now. You know, and in some ways, it's it's could be technology over reason. But the objective is to say, how do you get a leg up by looking at some physiologic or bodily function uh, that relates to training, endurance, injury prevention, all of these things, to find that hidden kernel that can help us uh, get an advantage and maybe prevent injury. So it's, a, it's an enormous, uh, exploding field of fascinating technology. So it's monitoring metrics while training. Let's bring on one of our experts, Dr. Kevin Sprouse, is joining us from Knoxville, Tennessee. Dr. Sprouse is a sports medicine doctor, primary care, team doctor for Tour de France. I love that. And uh, let's uh, bring you on, Dr. Sprouse. Thanks for joining us on Sports Medicine Weekly. How did you get involved with uh, elite and professional endurance athletes like the Tour de France? Yeah, well, uh, thanks for having me, first of all. It's a, a pleasure to be here. I, I did my undergraduate training in exercise science and kind of developed a real interest in physiology and the physiology of athletes. And so when I went to medical school and, and then ended up doing residency and fellowship and landing in a sports medicine career, I always kind of held on to that interest in the physiology. Um, and, and a lot of that plays itself out in endurance sports. And, you know, I work in cycling, like you said, I'm the team doctor for a team called Cannondale Draypack. Um, and I work a lot with not just cyclists, but runners, triathletes. Um, and so, my my interest in physiology really brought me along in the sport of cycling to the point that uh you know i got got involved with some of the lower level teams and eventually as we all do kind of worked our way up to the to the top level as a team doctor for a, a pro cycling team then we're visiting again with dr kevin sprouse from knoxville tennessee uh what do your responsibilities include and in in your travel schedule look like yeah the interesting thing about being a team doctor in a sport like cycling is the the travel is very international. And so most of the races that we compete in are in Europe. Uh, so I travel to Europe six or eight times a year for, for races, for training camps. Um, and when I'm working with the athletes at a race, the, the job is pretty standard for sports medicine. It's taking care of injuries, dealing with uh, athletes who are, are hurt or even sick on the road, um, and just trying to you know, do what we can to get them through the race, treat injuries. But 
in between races, there's a lot of the job that focuses on their training, their response to training, their nutrition, how well they're recovered. Um, so it takes kind of a, a, a different view when I'm at home and they're at their home training. And we have to, to really step back and, and look at the impact that their, uh, that their training is having on them, but I'm having to do it at a distance. And so that's where a lot of these metrics, like you were talking about, um, become very handy because it's a way to get objective data even though I'm not right there with them. So I, I, I guess you're, you're a cyclist, I imagine, yes? I do. I love, I love to ride my bike. I love to run. You know, anything that gets me outside to play. So your primary care sports medicine, and, and my guess is, like you said, on the road you're dealing with uh, falls and con- potential concussion and clavicle fractures and all, all those all, and road rash and all those awful things that we see in bikers. Is that, is that one of the, the most common things that you're dealing with when it's uh, not on the monitoring side? Absolutely. You just kind of ran through the, the, the punch list of the most common things that we see. Uh, road rash probably being the, the most common in a clavicle fracture, concussion, uh, wrist injuries, but illnesses too. Um, because of the, the load these guys are putting in day to day, their immune system gets depressed and we're often fighting respiratory infections, stomach bugs, things like that. And, and how did you get interested in, like the monitoring thing is, a, is I've seen more on the sports uh, scientist side and like I'm trying to learn as in my capacity as team physician for the Bulls you know what they're doing on a, on a yearly basis and how they're monitoring and doing you know time equals zero assessment and using that during the season and so forth we're trying to figure out sleep and I mean every week we get presented with a new gizmo to monitor something there must be 15 ways to mon- sideways to monitor sleep for example um, like what are yeah. the top three things that you're actually uh, focusing on for monitoring is it vo2 max is it oxygen consumption is it be- metabolic rate is it cardiac capacity? I mean, what are the things that are really important in your estimation? You know, the, the, I really got interested in this probably as a carryover from my studies in exercise physiology and the, the research I did during my time studying that. Um, and the metrics that we follow, you know, there, there's, there's things like VO2 max, lactate threshold, um, lactate metabolism in general that are great to follow you know, every three months or every six months, but they're not practical to, to really assess day-to-day, and they probably don't mean much day-to-day. And so those are more long-term metrics, but the things that we can look at on a daily basis that are kind of more high-yield, you mentioned sleep. To me, sleep is a really, it, it, it's an untapped potential. Um, when, you, when you talk to a lot of athletes, you realize how, how poorly or how inadequately they sleep, and yet they still perform well. And the studies show us, over and over and over that if if you get adequate sleep um, your injury risk is lower your performance is better your resilience day-to-day is better so sleep is right up there at the very top i think Um, training load would be another one and just like there's multiple ways to measure sleep there's multiple ways to measure training load Um, in endurance sports we look at uh, heart rate we look at power output so on the bike a lot of the riders will use power meters that tell us exactly how much power they're putting out, how many calories they burn, how many joules are being um, created by that athlete. So we get a very objective measure of, of how much work they're doing. Uh, and then response to that training load. Um, so uh, one of the best things to look at for, if you were going to pick one variable for recovery and kind of see how, how an athlete is responding to their training, which really is kind of a combination of training load and sleep, right? It's the, it's the stress and the recovery. Um, and that would be heart rate variability. Uh, 
there's a number of things that you can combine with that, but this heart rate variability metric is basically a measure of the, the time it takes between heartbeats. So if you have a heart rate of 60, we kind of think conceptually you have a beat every one second, but that's not truly what happens. Um, there's a bit of variability, maybe you know, 0.9 seconds and then 1.1 to the next one. And there's some variability based on neurologic input, on, on breathing, on all kinds of stuff. And the more variable your heart rate is, all of the things being equal, the better your system has recovered. And so if you look at training load, sleep, and then the response to the balance of those two things and heart rate variability, you can get a pretty good view on how an athlete is performing that day. That's Great fair. stuff. Yeah, that's actually, I mean, it may be high level for, you know, for some people, but what he just commented on is really the crux of training. I mean, you, uh, you don't have to know everything about everything, but those are three areas that are super important, and I'm glad you covered them. There's a lot we could talk about there. Unfortunately, we just don't have the yeah, time. And, great and I will say, you know, you mentioned this being kind of high-level stuff, and it can be a little intimidating, and yeah. some people just aren't data-driven. There's a lot to be said for uh, your subjective metrics. So just how do you feel? Like, you worked hard yesterday, you didn't sleep well last night, you feel tired today, like, that, that's meaningful. You know, you don't, you don't have to have all the numbers to back it up. Dr. Kevin Sprouse from Knoxville, Tennessee, primary care sports medicine doctor and a team doc with uh, one of the Tour de France teams and uh, working with elite athletes and active individuals around the world. Thank you, Dr. Sprouse, for uh, lending your expertise to Sports Medicine Weekly. Yeah, it's my pleasure. Thanks for having me. All righty. We're back with more of our show after these messages. On ESPN Radio. Feeling tired, sluggish, and overweight? If you're looking to lose weight and gain energy, join us in Karen Mulkin's 14-Day Transformation Cleanse. You're going to absolutely love this Whole Foods cleanse. You'll feel great, lose weight, build lean muscle, improve sleep, boost metabolism, and enhance athletic performance. This VIP done-for-you cleanse comes with a 14-day transformation wellness bag containing MCT Lean Vegan Protein Blend, fat-burning MCT Lean MCT Oil, snacks, superfoods, recipes, guidelines, videos, and other surprises. You will absolutely love this program. Sign up at 14daytransformation.com. That's the numbers 14daytransformation.com or visit Karen's website at karenmalkin.com. That's K-A-R-E-N-M-A-L-K-I-N.com. Midwest Orthopedics at Rush is nationally recognized as a leader in comprehensive orthopedic services. As team physicians for the Chicago Bulls, Chicago White Sox, and Chicago Fire Soccer Club, their physicians understand the importance of quality care for high-performance athletes and weekend warriors. Regardless of the level of the athlete, recreational, high school, college, even professionals, Midwest Orthopedics at Rush strives to provide the highest quality, state-of-the-art healthcare services. To better serve their patients, they provide expert care across five Chicagoland locations with a new location in Munster, Indiana. Their cutting-edge research, diagnosis methods, and treatments make them the highest-ranked program in the state of Illinois by U.S. News & World Report rankings. For more information or to schedule an appointment, visit them at RushOrtho.com or call 877-MD-BONES. Midwest Orthopedics at Rush, when only the best will do. Allosource's products help surgeons get their patients back into the game of life. Prochondrex, the latest solution from Allosource, is an innovative, cost-effective, fresh cartilage allograph designed to restore cartilage and restore movement. To learn more about Prochondrex, visit Prochondrex.org. That's P-R-O-C-H-O-N-D-R-I-X.org. You're listening to Sports Medicine Weekly on ESPN 1000. Back on Sports Medicine Weekly, our producer board operators, Felix Reyes, Eric Ostrowski, coordinating producer, Teresa Ann Seeger, Steve Cashel, Dr. Brian Cole, your host, talking about the latest in sports medicine and uh, injuries, Dr. Cole. How about to uh, third-year Bears receiver, Kevin White? This poor kid has had a heck of a career injury-wise 
the latest, the clavicle fracture suffered in uh, week one, the home game against the Atlanta Falcons. They lost by six, but uh, that's a big loss, and uh, this kid has hardly played in his three years. You uh, treat clavicle fractures. Explain what it is. So the clavicle is the bone between the sternum, which is the middle of your chest, and it goes out to the outer side of your shoulder blade. So it's your collarbone. I think most people should be able to figure that one out. And, um, you know, it's, it's an in, there's been an interesting evolution of uh, the management of clavicle fractures, especially when it comes to collision sports. The clavicle is one of those bones that almost always heals. And even when it doesn't heal, I'm saying without surgery, yeah. even when it doesn't heal, it may not cause a problem. So occasionally the bony ends will not unite, but many patients will not have pain in the area that it doesn't heal. The trick about it is that most of them, when they're displaced, they cause shortening of the trunk. So if you think about the space between the center of your chest and the outer side of your shoulder, if you have a clavicle fracture, that central strut is disrupted yeah. and the fragments overlap, so the, the chest kind of caves in or over. And the belief is that that leads to um, mechanic mechanics abnormalities around the, the shoulder blade and so forth, and especially the overhead athlete can cause a problem. But the most pragmatic aspect of it is they hurt a lot. So, you know, they, when patients come in, they cannot sleep, they can't lie on that side, it's brutal. So it can take six to eight weeks for that pain to go away if you want to treat it non-surgically. So we are threshold to fix these for two reasons. One, um, it's an outpatient procedure, fairly easy, it's a small incision, uh, the plates are very low profile, they rarely have to come out, the, sh the operation is safe, and it shortens the duration of symptoms. The people sleep the very same day they have it fixed versus misery in the first couple of weeks because you can't sleep on it because it's so unstable. Would you explain the surgery? I don't get it where you can put plates in. Uh, maybe I'm, I'm thinking you're drilling two holes. No, I no? mean clavicle because a, it's a, a long small hair. incision then? Yeah, it's, just, it's you know maybe it's a th two an inch, three inches. There's many ways to fix it, but the most common is using a plate. And these are stainless steel or titanium plates. And they have a minimum of six screws, three screws on each side of the fracture. And you need that to control rotation and load. So it's a plate. It's a very narrow plate with holes in it. And what we do is we, it, tr we fix the plate to the bone to basically splint the bone with three screws on each side of the plate. Now, most clavicle fractures are very common. They have multiple pieces, and we have to actually piece it. It's a fun operation, to be honest. If you get them early, if you get them late, they're miserable. They're very difficult. If right? they start to heal, big challenge, especially in kids. So it used to be when I first went to practice, you say, well, they all heal and you'll be fine. But then they're six, eight, ten weeks. Now if you fix them, they feel better immediately, and we can often get a collision athlete back to play within six, eight weeks. Now, obviously, you got to let the fracture heal. What it does, it basically holds the fracture in position while your body heals as opposed to moving around and rattling. So the duration of disability, if you will, is shortened if you fix them. It's a much more tolerable experience for an individual if you have a clavicle fracture to have a plate on there stabilizing it. And the risk of downstream consequences because of the shortening is eliminated. And the plate doesn't need to come out. I, you know, I tell patients one in five uh, plates have to come out, uh, especially very thin uh, female patients often don't have a lot of subcutaneous or deep fat there, so they are more likely to feel or the plate could even be visible. But maybe it's one in five. Good stuff. Back with more Sports Medicine Weekly after these messages on ESPN Radio. I'd been having knee pain for quite some time and did what probably a lot of people do. I just ignored it and hoped it would go away. After a month, I couldn't take the pain anymore. I went to my family orthopedic. He told me that I needed physical therapy. When I received my prescription for therapy, the first thing I did was search PT companies online. I came across ATI Physical Therapy. It's close to home, has some great reviews, and when I called, they verified my insurance and scheduled me right away. No wait. Everything was so easy, and the staff was great. They kept my doctor informed of my progress along the way. Honestly, I looked forward to going to my appointments. ATI made me feel like my recovery was their most important priority. I'd recommend them to anyone needing physical therapy. The experience was something I'll never forget. To learn more about what it's like to be a patient at ATI Physical Therapy, visit ATIPT.com and start your journey to get back to your best today. ATIPT.com. 
Midwest Orthopedics at Rush is nationally recognized as a leader in comprehensive orthopedic services. As team physicians for the Chicago Bulls, Chicago White Sox, and Chicago Fire Soccer Club, their physicians understand the importance of quality care for high-performance athletes and weekend warriors. Regardless of the level of the athlete, recreational, high school, college, even professionals, Midwest Orthopedics at Rush strives to provide the highest quality, state-of-the-art healthcare services. To better serve their patients, they provide expert care across five Chicagoland locations with a new location in Munster, Indiana. Their cutting-edge research, diagnosis methods, and treatments make them the highest-ranked program in the state of Illinois by U.S. News & World Report rankings. For more information or to schedule an appointment, visit them at RushOrtho.com or call 877-MD-BONES. Midwest Orthopedics at Rush, when only the best will do. That's one way to end up on injured reserve. So is falling off a ladder, lifting something heavy. Uh, ow! That's not good. Or having an accident. At work. Uh-oh. Athletico helps all kinds of people come back from injured reserve. Schedule a free injury screening at athletico.com and find out how physical therapy can decrease pain and discomfort, increase strength and mobility, and help you get back to doing the things you love to do. Athletico Physical Therapy. Better for everybody. You're listening to Sports Medicine Weekly on ESPN 1000. Welcome back, everyone, on this Saturday morning. Steve Cashel, Dr. Brian Cole. It is Sports Medicine Weekly. Dr. Cole, the drop in participation in youth football due to concussions and maybe other things uh, is amazing. Question to you right off the bat. You have two boys, Adam and Ethan. All right? And uh, would you allow Adam and Ethan to play football if they yeah, chose to? Yeah, I mean, to? we live in the city, and I played football since I was in third grade. Wow. And um, I, I, for me, it was... Uh, some of the most memorable years up through high school. And um, I think that the tackling rules, contact rules, recognition, uh, what to do if you do have a concussion, all of those things um, would make I would let, I would let my kids play football. I mean, it was if that's what they wanted to do, I, I, I don't have a preference for virtually any single sport that they do, just that they do something. And if that was their passion, I would let them do it. I was fascinated to learn recently that – uh, where I grew up and initially played football and, and the, for the Park District of Highland Park used to be called, I think it was like the Hallis League, and then they used to call it the Mighty Midgets. And I grew um, up in Park Ridge. I played for the Mighty Mites. Yeah, so it's like, and I remember we used to play Park Ridge, and, um, and we would have 150, 200 kids on a team. And this year they had, I think, 11. You mean in the program? In the program, yeah, yeah. starting in third grade. And, uh, you know, the problem in the city is we don't have those kinds of opportunities for young kids. There's very few programs at that age yeah. uh, until you get to high schools. And even there, you know, the public schools is very limited. But at any rate, they got 11 kids that signed up, so they canceled the this program, year, which yeah. is, I mean, to me, that's just insane. And I think, you know, when you read about it, you know, and you look at what kids are doing, three times the number of baseball, kids doing baseball now compared to what they used to have. So they're... Is it because of the parents? Are the parents well, and the I mean, moms and the dads scared that this is the dangers of repeated yeah. head trauma? Is that why? Well, I don't think it's only head trauma. I mean, I think it's ACL injuries. I think it's other things that happen. I mean, there's no question a collision sport for a kid is far more dangerous in terms of the epidemiology of these injuries, including concussion. Whereas, you know, but then there's the pick your poison. Then you do baseball, and you play baseball 10, 11 months a year. You never give yourself a rest, and we see this epidemic of elbow and shoulder injuries. Overuse, so yeah. I guess you got to pick your poison. But, uh, look, I, I kind of get it, but to answer your original question, um, I would because I had such a passion for it, and it sort of defined my, my youth was my team sport was football, and I loved it. All right, well, I've got two boys, 13 and 10. My 13-year-old has played. Um, he's now playing in junior high for Lincoln Junior High School. Uh, he's played probably five years of football. My little guy is in fifth grade. He's played every year since first grade. So, Dr. Cole, I have seen two injuries in, what, those 10 years of my boys playing. And my wife and I are totally for them playing football, by the way. I saw one kid suffer concussion. You know why? He had his helmet off. He was sitting on his helmet, and he got hit in the head with a football. 
Jeez. This was like during break. That's bad luck, man. Yeah, that was yeah. a concussion, and one yeah. one of our boys on my older kid's team fell on his hand, broke his wrist. Those are the only two kind of major injuries I've seen in 10 years. Maybe that's I, not the norm. This. I'll tell you this. I remember getting my head, my, my, my bell rung. That happened all the time. Did I, it? I wonder. You hit heads? Oh, yeah. I mean, that was before. I don't see I the played football heads. when spearing was still around. Oh, wow. Doug yeah. Plank-like. I remember, remember the, Doug Plank? yeah, I remember oh, the change goodness. to no spearing. Yep. So, yeah, I had. I remember that. Free, I go when the head call. I mean. I, I hesitate. I, I shudder to think, you know, what what happened then versus now. But you know, it's a whole different thing now, and I think that we're behaving responsibly. Well, let's bring on our next guest. He is the president of the Saint Raphael Youth Football Program in Naperville. That's where uh, my younger son plays. It's Paul O'Toole. Paul played and uh, in the '60s for Saint Raphael. One time, Dr. Cole, they had 2,500 kids. Okay, and um, obviously there's a drop in participation, but uh, Paul does it the right way. He played at football at Naperville Central High School, the president now of the organization. Paul, thanks for joining us. How are you? I'm doing great. How are you guys doing this morning? Good. So uh, I, I said it, uh, you know, talk about St. Raphael's football program in Naperville over the years. Boy, um, yeah, we started as a, as a small program back in the 60s, grew with the, uh, the peak of the um, uh, population in Naperville. Obviously, the bubble in the uh, 2007, 2008 grew to about 2,500 kids, and now that bubble, we're now becoming a little bit older community, and we're probably now about 750 kids, but uh, there's no doubt that um, the uh, the concussion uh, issue is, is hitting us as well as the uh, population change. What are you hearing from the parents, Paul? Well, we've done a lot here over the last, uh, say, five years. We're a lot safer now than we were, say, 10 years ago. We've changed um, a lot of the hitting uh, the tackling, uh, it's very, very different than uh, what it used to be. The drills are different. We don't uh, have as much contact in practice. And obviously, we just introduced a new uh, a new technique called the uh, Seahawks swoop technique, which is getting your head behind the runner when you make a tackle. But the parents are, you know, what we're seeing is the, 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 the parents who who's, who's, uh, who played football, they're still very interested in uh, in having their kids play, and they, they know what you get out of it. I mean, football is a lot more than just blocking and tackling. As uh, as Dr. Cole just mentioned, it's uh, you, you get a lot more out of it. So they're interested in it. I think we're stabilized right now, and as we see more kids the, uh, uh, coming back into the program, that's going to be uh, a big help for us. How about the protocols uh, that you have for injuries during games? Yeah, right. What we've done, um, again, this is another thing we've added about five years ago, is we now have trainers at all games. And so if there's even an incident at all with uh, any kind of injury, the trainer has the, uh, the final, the first and final say. Regardless if we had a neurosurgeon on the sideline as a parent, that trainer has the, uh, uh, the, the full authority to pull that player out and sit him down. And I can be honest, I can tell you that we've actually had doctors try to put their kids back in the program, uh, back in the game, and we will not allow that. But we look at them, and then we've got the protocol where they've got to go back to the doctor. They can only come back into the program uh, once we have a note from their doctor saying that they've uh, they've passed the protocol. Are you doing uh, preseason scat testing or other on all the kids? You know, we've talked about that, and we work with the uh, doctor, Beth Pyroth, uh, up on the North Shore. And uh, and right now we're not doing it, but it's something we've always got kind of on our, uh, our uh, radar. Yeah, I would say it's something clearly worth looking at, and it takes it to the next level of uh, – you know, sort of high-quality uh, programming. Paul Toole is joining us, the president of the St. Raphael Youth Football Program, very successful program in the uh, city of Naperville. I'm Steve Cashel with Dr. Brian Cole. You're listening to Sports Medicine Weekly. Dr. Cole, let me uh, ask you, you see patients every day. Is football big? I know soccer is big also with injuries. You know, we could talk about concussions and uh, ACL tears and whatnot. Yeah. Are you seeing more more football patients or more soccer patients or other sports? Ooh, it's hard to say. I mean, it's so seasonal. I, I will tell you that, 
in uh, right around now, uh, I, I on any week I'll see at least two or three injuries with football. So August time frame, I'm commonly seeing ACLs. Same thing, unfortunately, for soccer. Uh, a couple of other high-energy injuries, you'll get clavicle fractures and some other things. I don't see concussions in my office, um, but that's and I, I don't know what the prevalence is at this point uh, in the high school setting. Uh, but um, I will tell you that I'm seeing on a pretty regular basis, you know, plus, I mean, we're kind of a feeder program, so you can't use me as a, an example. You know, it, is it, you know, there may be one or two ACL tears a year in a team that has, I mean, you, 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 t- you tell me, um, uh, Paul, what, what you, yeah. give, me a, give me a typical roster of a number of kids on a, a yearly basis. How many kids? Uh, of injuries? Of, yeah. of uh, concussion no, injuries? No, just give me, like, how many kids? Uh, per team. Uh, per team. Oh, uh, about 22 kids per team. All right, and how many teams? Uh, we'll go with, say, 48 teams. And what are their ages? Uh, from first grade through eighth grade. Yes, that's a really young age group, so you're not going to get a lot. My guess is you get less than two ACLs a year. Is that fair to say? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I, I can't recall the last ACL right. we had in the yeah. last three yeah. years. It's just too young. I'm getting kids who are sort of, the, this isn't that junior high school, this is junior pre-high school age, junior high. This is, right. I'm getting kids who are high school, but every once in a while you get an eighth grade. I had, I had two kids today. I had an 11-year-old and a 14-year-old, uh, but that's not common, you know. Busy with Paul Toole president of the St. Raphael Youth Football Program. It's Sports Medicine Weekly. Uh, Paul, do you guys interact at all with the local high school football head coaches to, uh, to talk about injuries? Uh, we, we do. We talk about that, but primarily we talk about their, their techniques and what they, uh, what they like to see uh, coached uh, all the way from first grade up through eighth grade. And so what we try to learn from is the old best practices uh, from a central to a north to a Bonzi. Um, the other schools, they do things a little differently. And so uh, as we see teams kind of feeding into those schools, we follow their their pattern of coaching and calisthenics and stretching. And um, it's been actually excellent over the last five years. But would you say overall, Paul, I mean, we've seen, uh, you know, the poor kids in Highland Park who want to play football, although they're just 11, you know, this, uh, this August. Uh, you guys are 750 kids strong. It's still a pretty impactful, powerful program, correct? Kids are still wanting to play football. Parents are still into it. They really are. Um, it's exciting to see that, uh, yeah, obviously we, we've got to be uh, uh, safe, have fun, learn to f- play fundamental football. That's, uh, that's really what our goal is and at the end of the, uh, uh, the eighth grade, to see them up in the high school playing football at all different five high schools and including Bennett Academy. It's, it's fantastic for us. And Dr. Cole, you know what's changed when you and I played football back in the 70s was uh, we never had a trainer there. Now when my son plays for the feeder program with the Naperville uh, Central Red Hawks team, the fifth grade team, and there's other teams, first and second graders right alongside. We've got a trainer out there. One of them is my buddy um, who represents ATI, uh, and he's out there the entire time as a certified yeah. athletic trainer in case anything happens. We never had that growing no, up. No, I remember when I went to, when I was a resident at Hospital for Special Surgery, we used to cover the inner city schools in New York, and there were they didn't have training. I mean, first of all, they could never afford it, but uh, then there was, bare, I don't even think there were cell phones. I mean, it was the first day was basically not. a quarter and a payphone. I mean, these kids had duct tape holding the sole of their shoe to the oh, top of their shoe. Really, it was crazy. And oh, I mean, ice man. was like, the ice was like a bag of ice, like you know, from a Coke, you know, that you pour into a pour. It was crazy. They had yeah. absolutely nothing. Oh. you know. So I think that with recognition of injury, with you know, the concept of injury prevention, recognition, and knowing how to treat it, I think it's you know, look, kids are going to get hurt. The, the good news is most of these are not uh, the equivalent of a career-ending, life-altering injury at this stage, and we know how to protect them if things happen. So, I mean, maybe that's just because it's a business I'm in, but I think the most important thing a kid needs besides school is to have some organization in their life that controls their time and it keeps them off the streets and keeps them busy. There's nothing better than sports. So, you know, obviously every sport has differential risk, but, look, they've got to be involved in something to keep them busy. Paul, final word? 
Yeah, you know what, doctor is exactly right. I go back to uh, our youngest who um, played from first grade through, you know, uh, first year at Northern and uh, never had a concussion injury or per se a major injury, except for in third grade on the uh, Scott School lot, having a uh, an elbow come down in his head when he was um, playing basketball, had a concussion. So it's just very random, and the doctor mentioned it. Uh, it's, we, we do the best we can with the equipment and the training. Good stuff. Paul Toole, president of the St. Raphael Youth Football Program in Naperville, Illinois. Paul, thanks so much for joining us here on Sports Medicine Weekly. Thanks. My pleasure. Take care, guys. All righty. Back with more of the show after this on ESPN Radio. Allosource's products help surgeons get their patients back into the game of life. Prochondrex, the latest solution from Allosource, is an innovative, cost-effective, fresh cartilage allograft designed to restore cartilage and restore movement. To learn more about Prochondrex, visit Prochondrex.org. That's P-R-O-C-H-O-N-D-R-I-X.org. I'd been having knee pain for quite some time and did what probably a lot of people do. I just ignored it and hoped it would go away. After a month, I couldn't take the pain anymore. I went to my family orthopedic. He told me that I needed physical therapy. When I received my prescription for therapy, the first thing I did was search PT companies online. I came across ATI Physical Therapy. It's close to home, has some great reviews, and when I called, they verified my insurance and scheduled me right away. No wait, everything was so easy, and the staff was great. They kept my doctor informed of my progress along the way. Honestly, I look forward to going to my appointments. ATI made me feel like my recovery was their most important priority. I'd recommend them to any Anyone needing physical therapy. The experience was something I'll never forget. To learn more about what it's like to be a patient at ATI Physical Therapy, visit ATIPT.com and start your journey to get back to your best today. ATIPT.com. You're listening to Sports Medicine Weekly with Steve Cashel and Dr. Brian Cole on ESPN 1000. That's all the time we have for this edition of Sports Medicine Weekly. Many thanks to our coordinating producer, Teresa Ann Seeger, our board operator and producer, Felix Reyes, as well as David Cole for operating our website and doing our business side of Sports Medicine Weekly. For Dr. Brian Cole, I'm Steve Cashel. Thanks for listening. Talk with you again next Saturday at 8.30 for another edition of Sports Medicine Weekly, only on ESPN Radio. The preceding program was a paid advertisement. The views reflected are not necessarily the views of ESPN 1000.